words without action can be hazardous to your spiritual health. Pastor Xavier Reese with this simple truth. The unbeliever who declares himself spiritual, religious, and those are the labels today, they have no clue of eternity. Oh, I'm spiritual. Yeah. Light or darkness? Which one? God is to be feared above everyone, trusting Him, because we have a tendency to want to give a pretense on not being real. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Twitter, Instagram, instant messaging, and other types of social media have one thing in common. They all act as a window to your true character. Well, the simple truth is, the Word of God has a way of revealing your true relationship with the Lord. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to Luke chapter 12 for an in-depth look at the dangers of living a religious life without a genuine relationship with the Heavenly Father. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 12, please? And the message is entitled, The Sin of Hypocrisy. Jesus now is before the crowds and his disciples, and he continues to proclaim the present kingdom of salvation and the second coming for judgment. You can trace this from chapter 11, verse 14. It goes all the way to chapter 13, verse 9. So Luke, this entire section is not in chronological order as the middle portion of his gospel is. And, and these things, you can find them in the other synoptics, but he just puts them in. They're not following order. But he, he categorized them in themes. So it's easy to lose connection if you don't realize that, that he put themes together. And here the unifying theme is being light to the world and waiting and watching, being ready for a second coming that's going to come back in judgment. And you'll see this weaved throughout. So if we keep that as a context, then we'll understand where he's coming from. And so what I want to do is look at verses 1 through 12 of chapter 12 here as Jesus warns against hypocrisy and he gives us three reasons for it. Notice verse 1. There were crowds all about Jesus. It's described for us when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together. This was a sort of mob mentality, stepping on one another, trampling on one another. This is the scene. The instructions were to those who had believed in him in faith, notice. Jesus addressed his followers. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, he certainly had first the 12 in mind. He was going to entrust them the early development of the church from Pentecost on. But he also, without doubt, included the many disciples following him that we've seen up to this point. He's already sent out the 70, as we saw earlier. And there were many more in the multitudes that were his disciples because the disciples said, should we call down fire from heaven? No, 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 either for us or against us. You know, if he can't do nothing good if he's against us. So there were many others. Now notice Jesus warned his disciples against the lifestyle of the Pharisees to impress or get things from men. This is the hypocrisy. In verse 2, one day, all hypocrisy will be revealed at the judgment of God, Jesus says. All sin covered up will be uncovered, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. The word cover means to conceal entirely. Then the word reveal 
Apocalypto means to uncover, to lay open, or bear, or to unveil. It's the same word for the book of Revelation. Listen to Psalm 139.12. It says, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. You is capitalized, God. But the light shines as the day. The darkness as the night are both alike to you. God does not need night vision. He can see perfectly well in the dark. Everything. All secret sins will be disclosed, he says, nor hidden that will not be known. Look at verse 3. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in light. You see, the non-believer doesn't really believe this. The non-believer believes, ah, you know, I just live, I die, that's it. There's no God, there's no judgment. Come on, let's get serious. What a shocker when he stands before God. And those words that he spoke in secret, they brought to light. Words whispered to few. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetop. Whoa. <laughs> and God just blurts it out. What a shocker that all that you believed to be true was not true at all as a non-believer. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one, Colossians 4, 6, salt preserves, purifies. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment, Matthew 12, 36. God knows everything. Nothing escapes him. It may escape you. You may have forgotten about it, but not God. Second reason he gives against hypocrisy is that God is to be feared above everyone, verse 4 through 7. In verse 4, the disciples were not to fear men and act like hypocrites and pretend to be faithful to Jesus, even under persecution. They're addressed with affection by Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate authority. Don't miss this. And I say to you. So these are the words of Jesus speaking to his disciples. He calls them friends. He also mentions that in John 15, 14, and 15. No more servants, but friends. They're not to fear what man can do in his tribunal judgments, for he can only affect man temporarily. Now, he doesn't say not to fear man. He says not to fear man what man can do to the body. Okay? That's different because often we hear God saying, stop being afraid because there's a lot of fearful things in this life. And fear is a good thing. It tells you to get out of there if you can, okay? The ultimate thing man can do to him is to take his life. Listen to his words. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. This is the context. He's headed for Jerusalem six months away to be crucified. He's preparing his disciples. Notice in verse 5, they were to fear their creator who can affect them eternally. So not the one that can affect the body temporarily, but the one who can affect it eternally. The authority, again, is the supreme authority, Jesus Christ. But I will show you whom you should fear. Jesus, as a man, knew what it was to be afraid, as you know. But he did not fear man. But there were fearful times in the life of Jesus. The garden is one perfect example, as he's praying fervently. But he didn't fear man. 
Listen to um, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus never asks you or myself to do anything that he has not done first. Then he enables us. The ability of God to do something after death does exist, contrary to man. He says, fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. The ultimate authority of God is to sentence a person to Gehenna. The word hell is Gehenna or the lake of fire. The final abode of a person and every person who dies without accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, having repented and having a transformed life. Now, the confirmation to fear God follows, yes, I say to you, fear him. Once again, I. Jesus said Gehenna is a real place and warns mankind about being eternally separated from God. So Jesus is declaring it is a place of eternal torment. Now, notice in verse 6 and 7, the disciples were to have assurance knowing that God is well aware of all a believer goes through on earth. In verse 6, Jesus illustrated the constant vigilance and care of God over the believer. And he's talking to his disciples. He pointed out how cheap sparrows were sold for. Here's the illustration. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, a sixteenth of a denarius? They were so abundant that they would sell two for one copper coin. So for two copper coins, you get four, and they throw a fifth one in. <laughs> That's how cheap and abundant they are. That's what he's pointing out here. So he points out that even though sparrows were in abundance and cheap, God was aware of each one of them. How much more them? Listen to the words. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Jesus comforted them by telling them that God their creator knows the number of each person's hair strands on their head. But whatever strands you have. Now, some of us have less than others. No, I'm not that problem. Not that much. I'm getting less and less. But the point is that God knows the very number. In other words, nothing escapes him. The same kind of theme. See, sometimes we read like the Gospel of Luke and we say, well, what's the connection here? Follow it through. God knows everything. Jesus communicated their superior value to God. Do not fear, therefore. He gave them a superior position. You are of more value than many sparrows. Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. Those who are placed and allowed to be in that position, God says that he is sufficient for them in a way that you and I cannot understand because we usually worry about something before it happens and it will never happen. But God says, don't worry about those things. Don't try to figure them out. If I get you there, I'll meet you there. That's my faith in the Lord, that he will be sufficient. The hope of the believer is I know so, not I hope so, a confident hope. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. John eleven twenty five. 25. That's in connection to the raising of Lazarus, speaking to his sister. 
The unbeliever who declares himself spiritual religious, and those are the labels today, they don't want to say they're Christian. Oh, I'm spiritual. Yeah. Light or darkness? Which one? Because today you can't make a judgment. And darkness is embraced as much as light. It's subjective. They have no idea of Gehenna. They have no clue of eternity. All who reject Jesus Christ and die without being saved will stand before the white throne judgment in Acts 20 to give an account for their lives. And they will be sentenced to Gehenna, the lake of fire. God is to be feared above everyone, trusting him. So that's the second reason he warns against hypocrisy. Because we have a tendency to want to give a pretense while not being real. Third reason is 8 through 12. God is able to save anyone. Don't miss the connection. In verse 8 and 9, the response to the gospel is to be sincere and genuine by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, not a hypocritical declaration, which would be ungenuine. The invitation of salvation is given by Jesus himself, verse 8. Don't miss it. The supreme authority, also I say to you. He didn't quote a rabbi. He was speaking in full authority for the Father as the God-man. Jesus is still speaking to his disciples, the crowds in the background. The condition for salvation, listen to the words, whoever confesses me before men, the word whoever or whosoever indicates anyone. It is all inclusive. No one is denied salvation. He's already spoken in chapter 9, 23 about picking up your, denying yourself, picking up your cross daily and following him. That's salvation. That's an answer to salvation, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The word confesses literally means to say the same thing as another. To agree with genuinely, not hypocritically, in pretense. The agreement regards who Jesus is before men. Don't miss this. That he's God incarnate, the anointed Messiah, the Savior of the world, able to forgive sins and impart eternal life according to prophecy. Romans 10, 8. 1 John 4, 2 speaks about saying the same thing, confessing. That's what the word means. Notice the consequences of this confess salvation. Him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels of God. So the Son of Man refers to Jesus as a title for him, expressing his humanity through the incarnation. The Son of Man will confess that individuals who will confess him on earth will also be confessed by him before the angels of God in heaven. This is the result of man's repentance. The condemnation, notice, is the result of not agreeing. Here's the flip side of it with who Jesus is. Fearing man more than God, he says, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. God cannot be blamed. The person who does not say Jesus is the God-man, the anointed Messiah, the Savior of the world, able to forgive sins and impart eternal life, this is the person who will be denied before the angels of God in heaven. Very straightforward. Notice in verse 10, the rejection of the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes next. 
Now he deals with the very specific situation of one who is being dealt with by the Holy Spirit for salvation. The person who speaks against Jesus can be forgiven. Notice, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Speaking against Jesus is mere intellectual rejection of information about Jesus, like denying his deity, his humanity, or whatever you fill in the blank. Many of us did stuff like that because of our education, our upbringing, or whatever it might have been. Nah, I don't really believe that. Nah, it isn't that. And as time goes by, if this person hears the gospel and is convicted, then they make the decision to repent. God will forgive them. You and I are evidence of that. <laughs> but a person, on the other hand, who speaks against Jesus by the witness of the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven. Listen to the words. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. This involves a clear and direct work of the Spirit of God illuminating the sinner. God is telling you, you're lost, you're a sinner, you're under my wrath, I died for you, I can forgive you, I can give you eternal life. Jesus is making known who he is and and they're speaking against the Holy Spirit. Why? Why the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is the paracleo, the comforter, the one who is illuminating. He is the silent representative of Jesus. He never speaks of himself. He will speak of me, guide you, instruct you, convict the world of sin, as we'll see. Now, there is no time period or number of times indicated here. Only that when that line is crossed, nothing can be done. That sin will not be forgiven, literally sent away or remitted. The best way to tell you you haven't done it, many people say, I think I've committed. If you think you have, you have not. Because if you've committed it, you would not be sitting here. You would not be concerned about Jesus, salvation, heaven or hell or anything else. You're giving up. Now, I don't know if I've ever met anybody like that. But um, the warning is there, so the potential has to be there. Now, in verse 11 and 12, notice, now the persecution of believers is aided by the Holy Spirit. So he goes from salvation to the warning of the Holy Spirit blasphemy, now to those who are genuinely born again and faithful and trusting, and they find themselves in very difficult circumstances. In verse 11, the persecution of Christians is um, certain, but not all will be persecuted. Jesus is primarily speaking to Jews. Now, when they bring you to the synagogue and the magistrates and authorities, so the elders and rabbis would castigate these Jews in the synagogues for leaving Judaism and abandoning the law. Fear, intimidation, and many other emotions would arise, but they were to fear God, not man. And in these situations, those, those emotions will arise. And I've got to call on the Lord, and I've got to look to the Lord. And I've got to know that he's going to be sufficient. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Daniel in the lion's den. Joseph in the house of Potiphar. Jeremiah, the only one against all the false prophets. Jesus gave them comforting counsel. Listen. Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. They're not to worry. 
be anxious, troubled, or distracted about their answer or response. Again, we worry about things that may happen that will never happen too often. God will be sufficient and faithful at the time. This would equally bring fear of what man could do to them. And this is what he thought. Don't, don't, don't fear what, what they can do. They're limited in what they can do to the body. He's not saying don't fear. There's fear against man. We all experience that on different occasions. And that's why he pointed out there in verse 4 through 7. Now, notice the pertinent words will be imparted by the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. These are believers. The promptness is stated that very hour, the time of crisis, the time of need. The particular words, what you ought to say, the word ought means must of necessity and duty. To be what? To say the same thing about Jesus before those who are persecuted, right? To not be a weather vane to not play the hypocrite, to not give an appearance that you're bowing to the fear of man when you really fear God, right? The gospel is a medium God uses to save people, as you know. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Therein lies the righteousness of God. It's revealed from faith to faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, so Paul was not ashamed of it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You don't get evangelized by pulling a little news out of a Cracker Jack box. It's through the gospel. Sinners are saved. Do they even have those anymore? Sinners are saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. As the gospel is proclaimed, God initiates. The Holy Spirit turns on the light and tries to convict us that we agree with him. The gospel is not forced on any sinner against their will. It's a choice. If there is no choice and God predestined only the few to be saved, and no matter what happens, they're going to be saved. There's nothing they can do about it. Why proclaim the gospel? Why give an invitation? Why warn sinners if they're ultimately going to be damned and can't be saved? It's an insult. The gospel's an insult then under Calvinistic theology. And you can't just wipe it all away with the sovereignty of God. John 18, 6 says, and when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's what he does. The history of the church bears witness to the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to the persecuted saints and martyrs of the church to give them the words before their accusers are sentencing them. We have plenty of records on those. To strengthen them in the most difficult situations, be it in jail or torture. To confess Jesus by the very last breath to those who are killing them and praying for their salvation. God is able to save anyone believing in Him. Anyone. And so Jesus warned against hypocrisy for these three reasons. God knows everything. Nothing escapes Him. God is to be feared above everyone, trusting Him. God is able to save anyone believing in Him. 
three simple truths to encourage you to have a real relationship with God. That's the encouragement Pastor Xavier Reese draws out for us from today's study in the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you'd like your own copy of this message, you'll want to ask for the title, The Sin of Hypocrisy. We've made it available on CD for only $4. Plus, we'll be including everything we heard the last time we were together as well. So once again, you'll be asking for the message titled, The Sin of Hypocrisy, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 